Please always consult with your physicians prior to making any changes to your treatment plan. Music from this episode is courtesy of Ryan Hamner. Welcome to Living with Scanxiety, the cancer podcast, a podcast geared to help you navigate the pediatric cancer world. As a mother of a child who battled a soft tissue sarcoma for over a year, your host, Rosaria Kozar, understands and will help guide you through your journey. She brings the knowledge of experts, families, survivors, and other organizations tied to the pediatric cancer world to your doorstep. Her mission is to inform, support, and promote hope for you and your family. This is where hope lives. This is where hope thrives. Together as one, we all laugh and we cry. I think that was a surprise in the sense that I, I just had no way to fathom what was ahead of us when he was first diagnosed. Like, I, if someone told me, I don't think it would have, I wouldn't have sunk in and I don't think I would have brought it Welcome to the show. This is Rosaria Kozar. Today, we're going to be talking to Heather, a physicist outside of the Boston area. Her son, Matt, was diagnosed at 19 months with stage four high-risk neuroblastoma. And she's going to be discussing three surprises that came up during treatment and also the difficulties of having two children. So her 19-month-old Matt and her four-year-old daughter during treatment. So welcome, Heather, to the show. I'm happy to be here today and and chat with you. The pleasure is all mine, Heather. And before we get into the meat of the show, so to speak, I was wondering if you could tell me what happened after the pediatrician told you your son had cancer so we can get a background of you and your story. So we went in around 11 a.m. that Monday morning. So that was, so that Monday was June 10th, 2013. Um, and before midnight that night, we had our at least initial diagnosis, which is correct, which is the the stage four high-risk neuroblastoma. Um, so that obviously was extremely, extremely traumatic. So that was, um, he was 19 months old. Our daughter, Lucy, was whatever age that was, four, three, four at the time. Um, so that's kind of how things started. And then he ended up having almost a year and a half of treatments basically starting then. Um, so we finished treatment the end of August, 2014. So it, it was quite a, quite a journey. And that was kind of in a nutshell, I guess how I would, yeah, just in a nutshell, everything. And he'd had, um, ultimately for treatment over the, that period of time, he had chemotherapy, um, then surgery, then stem cell transplant, proton radiation, and then finished with antibody therapy, which at the time the antibody therapy was a phase three trial. Um, so it was kind of pretty much absolutely everything thrown at the poor, the poor kid. Oh man, that is so tough, you know, and you have to make the choices for your child, which makes it even tougher. So all of those things, but he is a survivor and he's doing well. And I know you personally, so I know that he is an amazing kid and you are an amazing mom. So you had three surprises during treatment and you wanted to talk about those. So I'd love to get into them. Can you tell us about them? Sure. So 
maybe this is going to come across cliche, but I'm going to use diagnosis as one of the three. So obviously he was effectively fine, normal. I mean, the month leading up to it, we thought maybe he was teething, right? I mean, the level of discomfort or offness, quote unquote, that he exhibited before he was diagnosed was at the level of teething. You know, I mean, nothing that anybody would have actually flagged, right? Um, So when we went into the hospital, you know, into the ER that Monday morning, you know, and they're like, well, you know, he could have a bowel obstruction or, you know, they were coming up with all the common things. Mm -hmm. Um, And when they told us a diagnosis, like, I didn't even, again, this sounds so cliche. This is probably what everybody says, but it didn't even like register. It was like bouncing off my brain. And, and um, Lucy was at daycare. I mean, we went to the hospital, Jack met me at the hospital because he had gone to work that morning and I took him into the pediatrician and ended up at children's. So Jack met me at the hospital and it was around evening time when they were kind of coming around to what was happening. He had an ultrasound in the ER. Um, And so Jack actually had to leave to go pick up Lucy from daycare. And at this point we were calling into town family, but they weren't in yet. So I remember this whole team came in. And again, once we were into treatment, I very much understood the team mentality. But at the time, again, I just, I couldn't even like comprehend what was happening. And this team of people walked into our tiny room in the ER and she's and this woman said, Oh, we're part, we're the oncology team. And I remember saying oncology, wait, that means cancer. Like I couldn't even like process that the word oncology meant cancer. And it was just, yeah, that was, that was pretty awful. So that was probably the first huge surprise. Um, and they kicked off the, the giant adventure that, that became his, his treatment. Um, I remember even calling work the next day and saying, I think I'm going to be out for about a week. <laughs> like little did I know I'd be out for over a year. Um, so that, that was the first one. I don't think that's cliche at all. And it might sound cliche for someone who hasn't been through it. But having been through it, it is a shock. I mean, you get this diagnosis that you would have never thought of. And it's heartbreaking. And it's flight, fight or freeze. And it's just really painful. Uh don't know what else to say. So it is really shocking. It shocks you to your core, which is, I think, pretty much a natural instinct for any parent. And that said, you brought up work. How important was it for you to have a supportive workplace? I mean, it it was amazing. I, I mean, it was absolutely amazing. I mean, my employer and my husband, Jack's employer, were both phenomenally supportive. Um, We were blessed that we have good insurance. Um, I mean, we had roommates when Matt was going through chemotherapy that their care, we saw their care being dictated by their insurance coverage. Um, I mean, not in a extreme way, but just in even in some quality of life ways. Like we had a roommate that, you know, he was like a Friday and he could go home based on his health at that moment, but they, he needed some blood work or something on Monday, but insurance wouldn't pay for him to come back and based on what they had. And I mean, we were extremely blessed both with the support at work and then just the insurance coverage for us made it so that Matt's care was a hundred percent dictated by what he needed. And we were able to be there with him. And I mean, it was thanks to, yeah, all of that, that we could focus on him and ourselves and, and do the right thing to 
basically make him survive. I mean, it was so that, that was that was huge. That's devastating to hear that the other child didn't have the same support and couldn't get the same care. But at the same time, I'm happy that Matt did get the care that he needed and that you both did have great insurance. So that wraps up the first one. So what's the next surprise that you went through? Um, Again, these are probably cliche, but um, I think just how hard the, the entire treatment process was um like I said it was like 15 months or whatever that was and you know people would use the analogy of a marathon and I I disagree with that I think at one point and this may sound um crass or something but at one point Jack and I were joking that it's like a war and not because it was adversarial or anything but because it almost felt like mini battles and skirmishes and that we were like in the trenches every day and we'd have these reprieves where we'd be out of the hospital, but then even that wasn't a true reprieve because we're still caring. We were still caring for his central line at home. We were doing injections at home during part of the antibody therapy. Um, I mean, he was on morphine or oxycodone for significant periods of time. So if he was in the hospital for a week, like for during antibody therapy in the hospital, he was on morphine for a week. And then we need to do oxycodone to wean him off for another week and then we'd have to get ready to go back in again. And then like, it was just, it, it was longer than a marathon. Like I, it was just, just this constant ups and downs. And it felt like you were kind of in the throes of it for a really long time. Um, and it's not that there weren't good moments. It was just the level of stamina required on our part was, was shocking. And if it was any, you would never choose to do it, obviously. And the only reason I think one reason I think we could do it is because you, we basically had no choice, right? It's like, this is, this is what we have to do right now. And mm-hmm. uh, so I, I think that was a surprise in the sense that I, I just had no way to fathom what was ahead of us when he was first diagnosed. Like I, if someone told me, I don't think it would have, I wouldn't have sunk in and I don't think I would have comprehended it. Thank you so much for saying that because a lot of that, probably resonates within a lot of other people. I know for myself, I kind of would agree with everything you just said there. And especially the part that you pointed out, why are you going through this? You're so strong. And how are you doing that? Well, you're doing it because you have to. And oftentimes, so many people would say, how are you doing this? Or I couldn't do this if I was you. And the answer to that is yes, because you don't have another alternative. So thank you for pointing that out. And what is the last one? Yeah, I think the last one was um, related to side effects. So I don't, I wasn't, I guess a big surprise for me was, you know, at all the different treatment steps, we had to sign all the consent forms, and they would talk to us about long term side effects. And, And I was surprised at the side effects, which I guess had I thought about it in advance, maybe I would have thought about it, but I was surprised at how potentially severe they are. And then also how upset they made me. And at one point I absolutely loved our doctor and she was kind of blunt with us. She would answer both my husband and I are scientists. So we'd ask a million questions and she'd, she'd be patient and answer our millions of questions at the deepest technical levels that we wanted. But I think at one point she basically told me, 
Heather, you know, she basically in the nicest, most wonderful way for me possible said, Heather, cut it out. This drug is going to make him live. Some hearing loss is okay. And because I remember being really upset about his hearing loss because he had some ototoxic chemo drugs. And I remember being like disproportionately upset that he was going to need hearing aids and hear the world differently when, you know, he was born with perfect hearing. And in the scale of, you know, cancer treatment, live or die, hearing loss is nothing. But I remember like some of those side effect things and there's other things that just like really struck a chord. And that surprised me how much those things affected me. And I don't know if it was because I could wrap my head around that better than other things, or if it was just like a straw that broke the camel's back or what. But even to this day, some of the side effects just, it's just frustrating that, that, you know, I, we're extraordinarily thankful he's alive, but then there's all these like side effects that we have to kind of watch and uh, that are just so hard in their own way that kind of you, he kind of is going to take with him for the rest of his life. Yeah, that's the absolute worst. You battle cancer and now you have all these side effects. But at the same time, Matt does have you and Jack, who are amazing parents, and his sister Lucy, who are there, all of you, there to support him throughout his journey post-treatment uh, and survival. And I want to switch gears and ask you, how did you manage having a healthy daughter and a sick child? Because I know that Matt was in quarantine because he had the stem cell transplant, so you couldn't hide his diagnosis. So how did you tell Lucy? How did you handle that? So once we got into a rhythm with his treatments, we would alternate nights in the hospital. So we had this whole routine where maybe, let's say I was in the hospital with Matt at night, and then Jack was home with Lucy. Then what Jack would do is he'd drop Lucy off at daycare in the morning and then come into the hospital. And then mid-afternoon, I'd leave the hospital and go pick up Lucy from daycare and have dinner with her and spend the evening with her. Well, then Jack spent the night in the hospital. So we did every other night. Um, I guess I didn't mention like through all of Matt's treatments, almost all of his treatments were in the hospital inpatient. So he would, he'd spend a week in the hospital for chemo and then a few weeks home and then a week in the hospital, then a few weeks home. Um, and then stem cell transplant was like over a month in the hospital. Um, so for all those periods of time, once we got into a routine for the, that's kind of a strong word for this, but you know, we, we would alternate nights so we could still give Lucy some attention and be there for her. But so that was really hard. And I think, you know, she, you know, she did, she didn't vocalize that she felt left out, but we got some books from our, the social worker at the hospital and the child life specialists, you know, this one book that was called what about me. And it was, you know, for an older sibling with a young sibling with cancer and I remember the first time I read that by myself before I even read it to Lucy, I burst into tears. I couldn't even finish reading this children's book. Like I was just bawling. Um, and then I could not get through it reading to her without crying. Like it was, it was awful. Um, and every once in a blue moon, she'll even now still mention like, Oh, you gave him a lot of attention. But I, but I, you know, in the end, I think 
we, we did the best we could trying to juggle her um, a positive, I'm rambling, but a positive thing about um, the, when he came home from stem cell transplant. So he had to be in isolation basically for a hundred days. Um, thankfully his doctor said that Lucy could still go to daycare. I know some doctors say that siblings have to stay home too. Lucy was allowed by Matt's doctor to go to daycare. Um, but I mean, the only child Lucy or Matt saw for basically all of treatment and especially the hundred days post-transplant was Lucy. I mean, he would have had no other contact with any other child, uh, if it hadn't been for Lucy. I mean, so she would play with him and make him laugh and, just having her be, you know, there for him was huge and having her there for us so that we weren't only subsumed with cancer. Like we had to pull ourselves together to see the daycare teachers and to, to try to be somewhat normal for her, which I think was actually good for us because it forced us to not kind of fall into this pit of cancer treatment thoughts, you know, Absolutely. And thank you for being so vulnerable and opening up and letting us know what you went through and how you handled having two children during that time. And I just want to say, Lucy is so lucky to have had that sense of normalcy because a lot of children, like you said, cannot go to daycare. But thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate the opportunity. And yeah, best of luck to anyone who might in any way have to go through any of this. Um, and thank you for having me on today. Thank you for tuning in to Living with Scanxiety. Please subscribe to Rosaria's podcast to hear more informative discussions like today's and visit www.livingwithscanxiety.org for show notes, links, and more. Music is courtesy of Ryan Hamner.